take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. This morning we'll look at the last piece of the armament. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked." and taking the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all supplication, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, and for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity, Lord, for allowing us to gather here to glean from your word, Lord, to worship so freely, Lord. I pray that you'll be with us here this morning, Lord. Put a hedge of protection about our minds, Lord, that we may focus in and be fed from your word. Pour out your spirit upon us, Lord. Energize us in your word. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. We thank you for the blessings that we've experienced even this past weekend, Lord. I pray that you'll be with all of us, Lord, as we experience the spiritual warfare that is up against us in this life, Lord, and that this study that we have been in up to now, Lord, that we take it, that we apply it, and that we move forward for your glory. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. We have been looking up to this point about the Christian and his battles. We have been on the sides of the defensive armor up to this point. We've seen what it means to have your loins girt about with truth. We've looked at the breastplate of righteousness, having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We've seen the helmet of salvation. We've seen the shield of faith. We've seen that this preparation of the gospel of peace is not only what the gospel did when it saved you, but it was the state that it put you in after God saved you. That we were once, according to Romans, objects of God's wrath, but now through the atoning work of Christ on Calvary, we have found peace with God. We've seen this shield of faith this helmet of salvation. And we've seen up to this point, basically the defensive movement. 
about how we are able to withstand the wiles of the devil. But it's more than being able to withstand the wiles of the devil. It's more than having the fiery darts of the wicked quenched upon the shield of faith. Romans chapter 8 and verse 37 says, Nay, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. And what does this mean for us? It's that we are not designed. God has not equipped us to live a life on continual defense for Him. It is that we have been equipped through the Word of God to live a victorious Christian life. In all things, we are more than conquerors. Here in this verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Our eyes here are drawn to the sword of the Spirit. And I kind of envision it like a runner running the race. And as he turns to see the finish line, the excitement, this, this moment that all of this labor can now promote a victory in us. Here, this moment, this sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, I envision it this way. That while we are behind the shield of faith, if you can picture yourself behind the shield of faith, while the fiery darts of the wicked are hitting the shield of faith, while your feet are anchored in the gospel of peace, that while you're in this defensive posture, now Paul draws the eyes of the believer to the sword of the Spirit. This moment in verse 17 almost quenches all the worry that was promoted in verse number 12. In verse number 12, when we looked at it, it was almost uh, causing us to tremble to see how big of an enemy we are up against. In verse 12, it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. It is to give us this innumerable amount of foes that is up against the believer in his Christian life. But yet when we get to verse 17, Paul draws our eyes to the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God in his presentation of this weapon is to say that this one weapon, this sword of the Spirit, this Word of God is so powerful that it leaves all of those who are encapsulated in verse 12 defenseless from it. The sword of the Spirit quenches all the fiery darts of the wicked. The sword of the Spirit puts Satan on defense. It is to say no principalities, no powers, no rulers of darkness, no spiritual wickedness in high places. Not even Satan himself can withstand the sword of the Spirit. Now you can take this to literally mean that the sword that is supplied by the Spirit. And by the way, don't miss this. The sword supplied by the sword that's supplied by the Spirit is the word of God. Note that to yourself. 
it is of the greatest importance. It is to say that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third person in the Trinity, does not work separate from the Word of God. It is a synergistic working. It is also to say that the Holy Spirit does not work against the Word of God, taking the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, the problem is we know that the Holy Spirit doesn't work this way. The problem is, is that we at times try to work this way. We try to conquer spiritual warfare in a physical manner. We try to overcome spiritual battles with our own hands. You know, when you look at the life of Moses, it was God who put in the heart of Moses to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt, was it not? That was God's burden in Moses. Yet, when God took this burden, that was a spiritual burden that God had placed inside of him and act upon it, acted upon it in a physical manner, he killed an Egyptian and buried him in the sand. When Peter had the desire, as Jesus was there in the garden, when Peter had a desire to deliver Jesus from the hands of the Roman soldiers, Peter took a spiritual matter and acted upon it physically and drew the sword and cut off Malchus's ear. When Joshua and the children of Israel were trying to conquer Ai, they acted in the flesh with the sword, but didn't even have the power in the presence of the Lord with them and faced a great loss. There is a great danger when believers try to, to defend their spiritual life without wielding the sword of the Spirit. You can't defend your spiritual life without defending it spiritually. The power is in his word and doing what his word says. So the spirit and the word synergistically <coughs> work together. The day the Lord saved me. I had heard the gospel my entire life. I had heard the gospel message preached to me by many of you my entire life. But on December 28, 2008, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 became a reality. That the word of God is quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Because that day, in my living room, laying on my couch, the word that was preached to me in times past was now in the hand of the Spirit. And when the Spirit worked in a synergistic movement with the word, I realized my condition, it was made a lie. It is when we take a human outlook on the sword of the Spirit that we fail to realize the power of how the Spirit works. It's oftentimes to say this, and I believe that Paul is going to point this out and we'll cover it. The power that rests in the sword of the Spirit, there is no follow-up to the sword of the Spirit. There is no follow-up to the Word of God. There is not a joining act to defend yourself from Satan besides the Word of God. But what the problem is, is that 
We have failed as believers to recognize the power of the word. Therefore, we fail to turn to it and use the power of the word to defend ourselves from the wiles of the devil. You know, if the only message from God's word that I had in my life was the message of Christ's work on Calvary the day that he saved me, it would have been enough to save me. It was enough to eternally secure me. But if that's the rest of God's word that I ever had in my life from that moment forward, I would be what I would envision a spiritually beat down Christian. Why we say, why would I even say such a that? Because the spirit is what arms us with the sword, which is the word of God. It is to say in the time of need, the spirit reminds us of the word. Uh, we've been here, right? You ever watch a TV and, you know, we live in a satanic, demonic moving society that's always trying to present its agenda before us? Have you ever seen something come across the television or something go before your eyes? And there in that moment, boom, a Bible verse pops into your mind and you're reminded what God's word says about this, even though the world is promoting their agenda to be right. This is the spirit of God moving in our lives. The Spirit is the one who works with the Word. I believe that's what this text teaches. In order to be armed, you must first be in it. You cannot be armed with the sword of the Spirit if you're not in the Word of God. You can't be armed with the sword of the Spirit if the Word of God is not in you. It is strange to me to see believers so beat up. And listen, we all get run down with, as we face opposition from the devil, but it is weird to see people who are systematically, continuously in despair as they face the opposition of Satan. I believe it's probably even anti-biblical to see believers who continuously whine and complain about how they've been beat up by Satan. Why? Because you know what I think this is the result of? This is the result of a believer carrying his Bible instead of the Bible carrying the believer. You see, this is the result of we want the blessings from God. We carry our Bible because we, we want God's blessings. We want this victorious Christian life. And we seem to bypass the application of the word of God. You cannot be a blessed man. You cannot be a blessed woman just by carrying your Bible. You're not going to be a blessed man or a blessed woman just by carrying yourself to church on Sunday or church, or, or, um, church services on Wednesday. The Bible still teaches that blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sitteth in the, uh, nor, uh, blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, and his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he shall do shall prosper. It is this thought process that a believer who walks in the Lord isn't going to be like the tree falling over in the backyard. It is the thought process that the believer who is anchored 
anchored in the word of God will continue to produce fruit. It is the thought process that a believer who is anchored in the word of God, though a drought comes. What is a drought? It is affliction upon the tree. Though we may face affliction in our life, if we will be anchored in the word of God, we still will produce fruit. We're able to have this victorious life. I still imagine in my mind Paul chained to this Roman guard and as he's worked through all of these pieces of the armament, his eyes are now fixed upon the sword. He says, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Notice his usage of the word here, sword. Paul minds in Paul's mind he is now left defending from the wiles of the devil and Paul's mind is now upon how we defeat spiritual wickedness without a doubt as we said that we live in a satanically inspired system but how we overcome it Paul says the victory rests in the sword of the spirit which is in the word of God now there's two different types of swords that we read about in the new testament we actually covered the one sword um, when we talked about the helmet of salvation, which is this rumphia. That's the Greek word for the sword there. It's this four-foot long sword that's two-edged. It's one of the reasons that the, the Roman soldiers modified their helmets to protect their neck because with one fatal swipe, it could decapitate the soldier. This is this rumphia, but that is not the sword that is mentioned here in this text. No, this word sword here is the word makara. This is like to give you the idea of a dagger, something six to 18 inches long. This sword would be connected to the sheath on their body. It was a much smaller sword. It was presented for closer combat. It was for precision. And this sword would be used to, when you got into combat, it would have to be applied to a chink in the armor. It would be used to uh, penetrate in the weak spot. The emphasis of this makara is that in order to be effective with the makara, you must be able to accurately place it on the enemy. This isn't just a open usage. This isn't just, hey, you have the raphim where you can just swing this sword and decapitate the enemy. No. Paul is presenting to us as believers that the sword that we carry, we must accurately know how to use against the enemy. It is precision work. When they came to get Jesus in the garden, the Roman soldiers, it says, was carrying the makara. When Peter drew his sword and cut off Malchus's ear, he was carrying the Makara. In Acts chapter 12 and verse 2, where they killed um, James, John's brother there, they killed him with the Makara. In Hebrews chapter 11, when we see about these heroes of the faith who died by the sword, it is this same word. It is the Makara. It was strategic opposition that put them at risk and put them at death. Again, as I said, that this makara was used for close combat, which means in order for one to survive battle, 
They must have experience in order to survive. Because in order to use the Makara, you had to get close to the enemy. Matter of fact, there was no weapon in the Roman outfitting that would cause you to get closer to the enemy than the use of the Makara. We have already gleaned from our studies, in our own studies, have we not, that in verse 12, when the text says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, we've already said from our own studies that it does not say there, for we do not wrestle. There is nothing more close to uh, close combat even in existence today, hand-to-hand combat, than that of wrestling. We are in hand-to-hand combat with the enemy. We are continuously wrestling, where the opponent is continuously seeking at every turn to pin his opponent. And that is what we're up against. That's where all what we're up against in this satanic system is that the enemy is constantly trying to pin us. And Paul's answer that the way we do not get pinned is through the use of the sword of the Spirit. We are warring, but notice what Paul says, taking the sword of the Spirit. We have to get into this word and have this word to get into us, which is the word of God. He says, taking the, in the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now we are familiar with the use of the word, word in the New Testament, right? We say John chapter one and verse one in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That always comes from the word logos, logos, logos. It's it's to say that Jesus is the word and the word was with God and the word was God. But since Jesus is the word and all scripture was given by God, it's which makes it the word, the logos of God. When we hold our Bibles, we literally have the word of God. It is a general word used as the representative of the word of God. Why is this so important? Well, because when Paul uses this here, when he says in verse 17, which is the word of God, Paul's not using a general term. He doesn't say the logos of God. Paul instead uses the word rima, which is to say this is a matter, it is an answer or a word given in regards to a matter or to a topic. It is a focus on the content of the communication. What does this mean? It means that the person handling the sword, which is closely attached to them, it's not enough to say when we are facing a satanic world, it's not enough to say, I have the Bible on me. It's not enough to say that I have God's word. When Paul uses this word, Rima, it is to say that this word is a specific answer to the content in which you are facing in opposition. You see, it is that Paul is saying you must know the word of God in you to answer the opposition of the world. 
And we can't properly defend ourselves against Satan and his lies unless we fully understand the word of God. That's great that you can quote the gospel message, but how do you defend yourself against temptation if you don't know what the word of God says about how to handle temptation? How do you behave and how do you engage in this wicked world and in the thought process of having ungodly friends if you don't know what the word of God says about having ungodly friends? You see, this is the difference between the Logos and the Rima. You can have the word of God, but do you have the understanding of the word of God? Paul says, when you take the Makara, this short dagger, which is going to bring you into the closest combat, there's no time to try to coach yourself in the Logos. When you find yourself in this close combat, you must understand the specifics of God's word in order to defend yourself. How do we defend ourselves from the wiles of the devil if we don't understand what the word says about how to handle it? We need the word of God in us when we pray. We need the word of God in us when we preach. We need the word of God in us when we face our enemy. Why? Why? Because the authority of your words mean nothing. But the authority of God's word means everything. It wasn't our words that brought forth light in the darkness back in Genesis chapter 1. It wasn't our words that brought Lazarus from the grave. It wasn't our words that cleansed the leper. It wasn't our words that made our soul quickened. And it is still not our words today that maintains power. But yet, Paul brings here today that God's word still maintains power. And it still has power today over the enemy. I think that modern Christianity has lost the amazement that we have God's word. We have fallen into a generation that has spent more time trying to change God's word than let God's word change them. It's amazing that we're sitting here today holding a collection of 66 books written over some 1,500 years by 40 different authors, kings, emperors, um, princes, poets, sages, philosophers, fishermen, statesmen, People of the land of Egypt, educated in Babylon, people trained at the feet of rabbis, and people in the deserts, in shepherds' tents, in green pastures, beside still waters, tax gatherers, herdsmen. And yet, you know what? They all claim that God is the divine author of this book. That is the claim that this book makes. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. What other book makes such a claim? What other book has been proven to have such power? We are desensitized to the reality of our carnality that we once existed in. How did we ever get from there to here? Unclothed the clothed? Living in the world, participating in the world, the desiring to communicate with God, with a desire to hear more about God, my, all of this because of the power that exists in the Word of God. He has divinely moved and preserved His Word to every generation. Is that not amazing? 
that God has preserved His very Word so that we could defend ourselves against the wiles of the devil in this present age. God has preserved it when kings have dedicated themselves to destroy it. God has preserved it when it seems that we hadn't even had it, and yet here it emerged in a collected group. God has used this sword of the Spirit. We have the living, breathing Word of God. What an amazing thing. This is why Paul says there's no other need. This is why Paul says there's no other follow-up. Paul even says there's no need to worry about getting close to the enemy because when you get close, close enough to whisper, whisper the Word of God. It is to say that whatever we're experiencing today in our own personal life, when it gets close enough to you, put a sword in it. When you're feeling downhearted, when you're feeling broken, when you feel in despair, this is nothing new. Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 16, Jeremiah said, I was down in despair. I was downhearted. I found myself broken. In verse 15, chapter 15 and verse 16, he says, when your words came, I ate them. And they were my joy and they were my heart's delight. God's word delighted him when he was downhearted. God's word lifted him up when he was broken. David said when he was filled with uncertainty, when it seemed that throughout all around him, that <clears throat> throughout all of history around him, that he was uncertain of what was going to happen. He wasn't exactly sure what just happened in his own personal life, and he didn't really know what God was going to do next. But in Psalms 119 and 105, he said, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When we are tempted, Psalms 119 and 9 says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to what? To thy word. Trying circumstances. Tempted. Tempted even against provisions, the Lord quoted in the New Testament in Matthew chapter four and four, Matthew chapter four and verse four, he quoted Deuteronomy chapter eight and verse thirty-nine that it is written that man should not live on bread alone, but out of, uh, on every word that cometh out of the mouth of God. What is the point? The point is that inside of the word of God, there is an answer to every woe, to every affliction, to every step of opposition that we face in this life. If we will just get our sword out of the sea and use it against the enemy. That's the key. Use the sword. One by one, if we'll just take the word of God and really stick it into our problems, we'll come to realize that the problems that we have aren't really problems. They're just wrong point of views. So he says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I love that in this text, Paul uses the word makara. Because we like to live our own personal lives in this thought process that we're going to keep the devil at bay. We like the thought process of using the raphine, this long sword that keeps the devil far away from us. 
that he's not going to get close enough to touch us, that he's not going to get close enough to afflict us. We just talked about this this morning in Sunday school about the life of Job. Sometimes Satan gets that close. Sometimes he gets close enough to afflict us in our life. But having the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, helps us to correctly navigate through the afflictions of this life. When we experience afflictions in this life, when we experience troubles in this life, sometimes we, again, try to turn our focus on the experience and on the affliction about why this is wrong. And instead, what they're trying to draw our eyes here with the sword of the spirit, our eyes should be focused on how we behave through these situations. The sword of the spirit. When we face the enemy. It is a precisely used weapon. This is why we stand up here and we challenge each other's to do yearly Bible readings. This is why we challenge each other's to do Bible studies in the morning. This is why we challenge each other time after time to get in the Word of God and read the Word of God because it is the only defense against Satan and his evil ones. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to be in your word again, Lord, as we come to a close on the armament that we have in spiritual warfare, Lord. I pray that you'll help us to firmly plant our feet in the gospel, Lord, and that we will get into your word and dive into your word, Lord, and hide your word in our hearts, Lord, that we may be able to defend ourselves against Satan, in, and to have a victorious Christian life. I give thanks to you for all that you've done, Lord. Be with us today. In Jesus' name, amen.